You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this final lesson on the Holy Spirit, Philip Edwards concludes his teaching with, you will receive power to witness to others and through the Holy Spirit living within you, reproduce the fruit of God's love in your life. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk for all the latest news, upcoming events and other ministries we have to offer. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. The Holy Spirit comes with power. We've looked uh, over the weeks how he comes to empower our prayer, empower our lives. Tonight we're going to look at that important topic of empowering us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's not only speaking about him, but in the very way that we live our lives, we attract people to Christ. The New Testament uh, has two very clear commands to us, commands that must not be ignored. The first is the great command, which is we're to love one another as he has loved us. You say, well, that's a tall order. Well, we're commanded to do it. It would be impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit to love as Jesus loved. The second one we call the Great Commission. And we're told to go into all the world and make disciples of other men and women. I want to emphasize the word to go because sometimes Christians have a bit of a struggle at going because the the point about going is it always means we have to move from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. It's always the same way. So the, the emphasis is that we, we go. As I said, to do these things and anything uh, for God, it has to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Some people would even go as far as saying, for the things that we do in the flesh and are not empowered by the Spirit, they have no bearing on our lives at all. It's only the things that we do in the spirit that God recognizes and accepts as work that we do. Work in the flesh, some people would say, would be unacceptable to God, only that work done in the spirit. I want to turn you to a verse now that's uh, related to the Great Commission. It's not the Great Commission verse. We'll go to that a bit later. But this verse is related to it. It's found in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Remember we spoke about the Holy Spirit coming into us and coming onto us. We're talking about him coming onto us. It's like an anointing. It's different from the indwelling, it's an anointing. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. What that infers really, and I think what it says, is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it comes upon us with anointing to go and share or to take the gospel to other people. Like I said, it's not always what we say, but we can take the gospel through our actions. We can live Christ in front of people. In the Western Church, we've seen to... Uh, for the last two generations, at least, well, 50, 60, 70 years, Christians have had a considerable emphasis 
uh, well, the whole Christian church has really, well, a great part of it, to the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's though it's taken up our imagination, the whole teaching on the Holy Spirit. As you look through Christian history, church history, there are times when the Holy Spirit was almost not active, not doing anything in a vast number of churches. And then we see him coming into the church and then it almost like dies away again. So in, in, in the 1900s, there was a great move of the Holy Spirit when we had the Pentecostal revival. And then it seemed to to, to go off the boil, as it were, and, and to quieten down. And so the churches became a bit, um, a bit stuffy again. And then we see in the 1960s and 70s, there was a move of the Spirit again within the churches where people were thirsty for God or hungry for God. They wanted more of God. And so the Spirit came again. And I think that pattern has happened throughout history. Uh, you see, it's almost like waves. He comes with great power, then it sort of dies away and it rises up again. Just so in my lifetime, as I look back over my life, I can remember probably in the 1960s uh, what happened. There was a, a, a revival in the Catholic Church. It was the Catholic Charismatic Revival. Yeah, the the charismatic revival started in the Catholic Church and it, it moved through the church and then in the 1970s you might remember uh, seeing something of this in, uh, in California there was the the Jesus movement where literally thousands and thousands of young people just came into the kingdom as the power of God moved upon them you know peace and love and all that sort of stuff well you know it, it might make a bit of a, a, a fun of it but it was the power of God coming and really moving uh, in people's lives and then we see in uh, in the 70s and 80s in this nation there was a tremendous move through uh, many of the denominational churches, the Anglican churches, and we saw lots of churches having to split away because of the empowerment of the Spirit. They were almost, people were forced out of churches as they, some of the members start to embrace the Holy Spirit. And we had a thing called the house church movement that many people forced out of churches, started churches in their homes, and eventually ended up in schools or, or, or bigger places like that. So all through the last couple of generations, we've seen movements of the Spirit. You might even remember in 1990, the thing they call the Toronto Blessing, which was a tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God. And literally thousands and thousands of people traveled from all over the world because it was a lot easier to travel in that time and just to experience something of the movement of the Spirit. And I myself went and Daphne went and we experienced something of that tremendous outpouring of the Spirit and the Spirit coming to us. So there's always been the last two generations we've been greedy as it were to understand and to enjoy and to take the things of the Spirit on. Even in the very formal churches we saw people like John Wimber who had a tremendous influence on the Church of England and opened up many churches to the things of the Spirit and he's accredited to probably a lot of the work that happened at Holy Trinity and New Wine and all these fresh expressions of the Holy Spirit's work in the Anglican Church. So we've had a lot uh, of the work of the Holy Spirit in the last, uh, like I say, a couple of generations. 
these these movements of the spirit i think people were always expected revival to come from these movements but they were sometimes just what i would call and what the bible calls refreshings there's a verse in acts 3:19 it says this repent and turn to god so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So as I look back and see these certain movements in the house church movement and the Toronto blessing and different things, they weren't really revivals as we understand historically what revivals are, but they were great times of refreshing. Lots of people got saved, but not as in the same case as what you would see in a revival. It appears then we had tremendous faith to receive the blessing of the Spirit and we enjoyed the blessing of the Spirit. We enjoyed it in our fellowship groups, whether it was speaking in tongues or singing in tongues or prophesying or messages or seeing people get healed and delivered. All of these things, the activity of the Spirit. But one thing that didn't happen is we didn't go. We seemed to enjoy the blessing and we stayed. Now, was it the plan of God that we should go and take what we have? Well, that's up to debate. I'm not quite sure. But we, we generally just enjoyed the blessing of the Spirit without doing much going, I believe. But there was someone that went. Um, if you think the work of, of um, Holy Trinity Brompton and the work of Alpha. Apparently Alpha started in the 1970s. But it was in the 1990s that Nicky Gumbel, he took it and he, he repositioned it as a tool to reach the lost. So as the Spirit of God came in the 80s and 90s and, and brought the church, uh, the house church movement, in the Anglican church, definitely there, we see this man, Nicky Gumbel, and the, the other staff there, I'm sure there were others around him, they repositioned themselves with this Alpha course and they turned it outwards. And of course, we know now, all these years later, how successful it was, or still is actually. It, it's translated into at least 100, 110 to 120 different languages. And it's touched literally millions of people. Well, it might have revived people who had lost their way or it might have caused people to be saved who were never saved. It definitely had an emphasis on the things of the Spirit, because if you've ever done a course, you know you go away for a weekend or a long day, which is to receive the Spirit, basically. So that was, that was one of the outworkings where when the Spirit came, it wasn't just so we had a good time, but something happened that we went out. I believe that when the Spirit comes to us, something needs to happen. So instead of looking into the church, we start to look outside of the church. That's the work of the Spirit. It's always to cause us to look outside. I must say in, in our own experience, I'm talking about Daphne, <laughs> Daphne and myself, we went to Toronto, but our lives would change quite drastic, uh, drastically in the before we went, we were simply working and building a charismatic church in London. But after that, and we see now the work of God in our hearts before, when we came back, God had caused us not to focus on the church and what was going there, but to focus on what was outside of the church. 
especially the vulnerable and the, the people who are the, on the edge of society. And so our whole church, it, it converted itself into being not just evangelistic and looking out, but looking out to the most vulnerable in society and touching them. So I think as well as enjoying all the blessings of Toronto and all the excitement and the fun and the things that happened, something happened in us of the Holy Spirit to cause us to look outwards more instead of inwards. This series that we've looked at this uh, over this month, um, there's lots of things that we've spoken about for our own personal benefit. Like I've said, encouraging us to speak in tongues. And if we haven't done it, then to get ourselves baptized in the Holy Spirit to start and to continue doing it and all the benefits from speaking in other tongues. We looked at the uh, the fact of prophesying, how we can speak the word of God into people's lives or into a fellowship where we worship. Also spoke about the Holy Spirit comes with, as it were, a box of tools that we can use in ministry to one another. Now, all of those are fantastic, all of them are good, but we have to have be careful that they're just not inward on the church all the time. It just doesn't always focus on the church. The Holy Spirit wants us to look out, to turn around. Uh, to It's come to equip us to go, to be people who go. That, that's an important word. That's what Jesus said. He said, go into all the world. Go, don't stay. So when you think about the church, we're outside of the church when we don't know Christ. The church draws us in to the church and then once we're in and God has done some work, it pushes us out again. So we have to be careful we don't get stuck in. No one should get stuck in church. You should keep coming to church, but your mindset once you've come in and God started to change you and, and, and make you a different person, your view must be outward looking. It must look outward. Now, unfortunately, what a lot of church uh, leaders to they want to build an empire of how many people they've got in their church and so they think in having more and more numbers that is what's important well it's important that more and more people get saved but it's a place of transitioning so you can send them out again and touch the world that's what the Holy Spirit wants when I say look outwards I just read this because uh, I've written it as a sentence when I say look outwards or to equip us to go, by that I mean to look outwards. So to equip you to go is to, to mean that you start to look outwards. I don't want you to go anywhere necessarily. You can only go where the Spirit sends you. But start to look out. Instead of looking in and thinking, what can I do to make this church a better church? Thinking, where does God want me to go with now what I've got? That seems important. By that I mean to look outward to the people who do not know Jesus. Instead of spending all our time and resources on those who already have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we mustn't spend all of our time on the church and the people of the church. We must spend some of our time with them. They're our family. We love them. We have relationship with them. But we mustn't spend all our time there. The Spirit wants us to be, be people who look out and go out. We're to go, if I say to go out or to look out, we're to go in our prayer life. 
Don't simply pray for the immediate things around you and for the things of the church, but pray for those outside of the church. Uh, the vast majority of us are home. We're, we're home and dry, as it were. We've got home, and maybe many of your families. Now, there's always things to pray for, I understand that, but there are millions of people that don't know and we have to take on the responsibility that the Holy Spirit puts upon us that we need to be praying to get these people to come to God. So we go in our prayers. We go in some of the things that we do. Some of our ministries must be external to the church. We go in, uh, in our giving. We make, make sure that not all your money that you give simply goes into the church. If the church is taking your money and investing it in, in mission and in evangelism, that's fantastic. Keep bringing your money there and let them do it. But if you think that they're not spending sufficient there, well, put your tithe or whatever amount you want to, but some of your money must be going outwards into the world as well to reach the lost. We must reach our neighbours, our work colleagues, our relatives, our friends. Uh, if we're part of a local association, our clubs, our communities, our nation, and even the nations of the world, we have a responsibility to bring the nations to Christ. Christ is coming to be king of the whole world. He will be the king of kings. The world is his. This is one of my little thoughts. The meeting we attend on Sunday, listen carefully to me, is not the church. The meeting we go to on Sunday is not the church, but it's the meeting of the church members. We meet as church members on a Sunday, but the church is the body of all the believers who need to be looking outwards. Now, Wonderful. I think that Christians should go to church on Sunday. The Sunday service should be there to build up and to encourage and to energize the Christians. That's their meeting. That's their time of coming together. But then we've got six more days when we can be reaching out. We can be the church in the world, reaching the world. The church never exists just for the few, be it a few thousand, the few that go, but it's for the people outside. Someone once said, it is the only club that you can join that exists for its non-members. Every other club is for us. I mean, whether it's a football club or a rowing club or any other club, it's for you. That's why you joined and pay your dues. But the, the Christian church, and I'm not suggesting it's a club for one minute, but you understand what I'm saying. We join it and it's not for us, it's for them. We must have that mindset. We must look that way. So, like I said, I believe that the Sunday service exists for the saints exists for the saints. In the old-fashioned way of doing church, the church I grew up in, the Sunday morning meeting was for the saints. Just the saints went to that. In the evening, when there was another service, that would be your evangelistic service. So that mindset was there. One service for the church, where you do the church things, another one for reaching out for the lost. And that was never lost. 
it was a bit tedious sometimes because you'd go to church every Sunday night and the message you heard it was you must be born again uh, they could preach you must be born again from every verse in the Bible well I suppose that's possible well it must be because I heard it every Sunday preached but you see for, for people just going to church it was Christians they didn't really need to hear that it was the unsaved that needed to hear that message so I want to uh, read to you from the message now what the Great Commission is it's found in Matthew 28 18 to 20 and it's from the message so it's quite different from what probably you're used to reading Jesus undeterred went right ahead and gave his charge he said God authorized and commanded me to commission you go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life marking them by baptism in the threefold name father son and holy spirit then instruct them in the practice of all i have commanded you i will be with you as you do this day after day after day right up to the end of the age see there will be a day when Jesus returns to this earth is it possible that he's waiting or he not waiting on us as it were but there, there will be a time when he is appointed when he will come but could it be the time when he comes is when all the nations have heard the gospel and there is a requisite number of people who will be born again to populate heaven in the next world so that's just hold that in your head as a thought so that's what we're engaged in in this time why is it taking Jesus 2,000 years to come back 2,000 years plus because God is saving a particular number of people probably and we are working with the Holy Spirit to bring them into the church so we're to be a going church continually going out to take both the love the life and the message of Jesus Christ to others now I know uh, for most people it's just difficult to talk to other people about spiritual things it, it's like you trying to talk to me about how exciting knitting is I understand what knitting is but don't try it I mean you can't even get away with how exciting gardening is because I don't get that either so if, if there's anything is pearls before swine that's it okay now sometimes speaking well really most of the time speaking spiritual things to non-spiritual people is murder and it doesn't go down well and that's why we don't do it we, we just we just don't do it so so don't beat yourself up because you haven't shared the gospel with everyone that you possibly know I don't think it happens like that that's not how it works now sometimes I've been with people and they're so cool about talking about Jesus and things that are spiritual I just I stand in amazement that they get away with it so easily so simply and they just it just 
there's no offence, but of course when I do it, it's clumsy and awkward and it's like I'm preaching at them or something. So don't beat yourself up because you don't go out preaching all the time to everyone. That's not what I'm driving at here. I've got a little, um, uh, it's like a modern day parable. Uh, it, it captures what I want to say now, really. It's about, it's from a man called Oswald J. Smith. Have you ever read any of his stuff? He's passed away now, Oswald J. Smith. He was a pastor in Canada and he was a great advocate for missions. And he was the pastor of uh, the People's Church in Toronto. He's written quite a lot of stuff and it's always inspirational. It's, it's a bit old fashioned, but that doesn't matter, does it? It's still very inspirational to us. And what he does, he, he tells a parable about a man called John Chinaman. Uh, John Chinaman, he represents those who live in a foreign land and through the work of missions and missionaries going, that, that John, John, the Chinaman, he gets born again. And uh, this is how uh, the parable goes. John Chinaman was asked what he would do when he got to heaven. He was saved, you see, through a missionary. What, what would you do when you go to heaven, John? Oh, he said, oh, I know exactly what I'm gonna do. He said, he said I will walk the streets of gold until I find the Saviour, then I'll fall down and I'll worship him for saving me. Then he said, I will walk the streets of heaven until I find the missionary who brought me the gospel. He said, I'll grasp him by the hand and thank him for the part that he played in my salvation. And then finally he said, I will search the streets of heaven until I find the men and women who prayed, who gave money to make it possible for the missionaries to come. I will grasp their hands and I will thank them for their part in my salvation. Oswald would then ask the rhetorical question, Will there be any John Chinamans looking for you in heaven? Now, the point I want to make from that is not to beat you over the head or anything like that at all. It's, it's just to say, listen, it isn't just about the missionary that goes. For every one missionary that goes, there's probably 50 to 100 people who are giving, supporting and praying and getting behind that person and giving in the stuff. Now, it's, it's, I understand the one man has to speak or the group, but hundreds behind are making sure he's there to do the speaking. And so the support ministries in evangelism are just as important as the man who stands or the woman who stands in front of another person and tells them about Jesus Christ. So we have different giftings, don't we? So the activity behind the scene is just as important as the one in front. In fact, somebody said, if everyone was a preacher, the earth would be full of hot air. Okay, think about that one as well, a little bit. So there's a lot more to the gospel of Jesus Christ reaching the lost than simply one man preaching. 
just think of the tremendous effect that someone like Billy Graham had but be sure there were thousands and thousands of people who were giving money who were working behind the scenes and of course he gets the plaudits and he, he can have them that's fine but you see when we get to heaven we all get the plaudits because God recognizes it and of course you're limited by the giftings that God has given you the giftings of prophecy serving teaching encouraging contributing leadership and mercy we flow in the gifts that we have to get the work done now how might you get involved in missions and we'll just close this section down on this one develop a mission mindset if you've never thought of missions before I'm sure most of you have you've been Christians a long time but if you haven't ask the Holy Spirit to give you a mission mindset because his his mindset is mission without a doubt so and develop that mission mindset it's not necessarily going abroad it could be in your hometown or in your own nation that you have a view of reaching out you must give some of your time to voluntary work outside of the church now it doesn't matter how much you do in the church take some of your time and invest it on those outside of the church you must do that uh, you might spend 90% of your time in the church or at least 10% but but try and I found it's better to be more balanced in doing stuff outside as well as inside I help with safe haven that's a ministry to homeless uh, men I do that as a discipline to my own life because I know what I'm like I shut myself in a room and read the Bible all day long and prepare sermons so I don't let myself do that because the spirit within me is a spirit of evangelism so I make myself I discipline myself to do it and I find whenever I go I really really enjoy it uh, because uh, you know we'd all be a bit maybe oh well I'll go and do what I like best well no I mustn't do that so you give time to voluntary work that's outside of the church that could be supporting a church group like I said the one that I do or Alpha or something like that or it can you can join another group that even isn't even connected to your church as long as it's reaching people in society not simply ministering to the church pray for the lost pray for the lost you say well I, I don't know quite who to pray for and I don't know what missions to pray for or what nation to pray for well we get around all these prayer problems don't we by praying in the spirit so you just say to the Lord Lord I want to dedicate now some of my prayer time now to missions to, to reaching out I don't know who to pray for and I don't know what to pray for but we allow maybe for 10 or 15 minutes the spirit to pray through us with the idea that we are praying for those outside of the church the those that the Holy Spirit wants us to pray for go on a short-term mission years ago missionaries went abroad and disappeared for several years then came back again but now times are different for the price of a holiday you can go on a short-term mission a week 10 days two weeks to some wonderful remote place of the world and get stuck in and minister to people where the gospel is being spread or taken uh, to different parts of the world if you think oh I don't fancy that well support another person who does want to do that but financially can't do it so you are doing it you see you are one of those supporters that can help and get involved 
in a, in a missions project. There's loads of them there. Once you write to them, they'll send you endless bits of paper explaining what they're doing and how much money you can give. Don't worry about that. It looks like by your smiles, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted. But, but you see, it's in getting involved. Now, be careful because they'll take all the money that you could possibly have. So you be prayerful about what you give and how much you give and so on and check what they're doing all the time and stay connected to any mission work. I think as a church, a good sign of a healthy church is a healthy church is usually involved in mission beyond, beyond its own walls. I don't mean necessarily abroad, but the church should have in its mindset, we want to reach the lost. We want to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that don't know it. It can be in your own nation, your own locality or the world. You know, Jesus did say we're to go into all the world. And the bigger the church is and the more financial clout it has, I think the more responsibility we have to support mission abroad. We should always be carefully looking, those that deal with church counts and finances, how much is being spent on ourselves, and how much are we giving away? How much are we seeking to support missions home or abroad? That's always a healthy thing to do. There we go. So... Uh, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of mission. He wants us to go. He wants us to get involved. He doesn't necessarily want us to be the preachers, but he definitely wants us to have a view of looking outside the church and not inside of the church. Let's move on then to this uh, last topic. It's the eighth topic that I'm looking at of this series. Uh, the fruit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There is a difference between gifts, plural, and fruit, singular. There's a difference. It's illustrated, I just mentioned it briefly last week, it's illustrated by comparing a Christmas tree with a fruit tree. Oh, it's very in season because I'm looking across my room. You can't do that. And I'm not going to move any camera or anything. That's going to be awful. It'll all fall apart on me. Uh, There's a Christmas tree. So uh, a Christmas tree, imagine that, and a fruit tree. Now, a Christmas tree carries lots of gifts on it if you hang them on the branches or put them on the tree. They, that represents gifts. Now, the gift was taken by someone and put on the tree and someone else will come and take it off the tree. No real effort, no, nothing was, was done. Uh, I mean, someone had to buy it, I appreciate that. But the idea is the person who received the gift simply went along and took it off the tree. He just took it, it was a gift. It came to him as a gift. If we compare that now with a fruit tree, we know that's not how it bears its gifts. Now, I've done a little bit of research into this, but whenever I'm talking about medical things or I'm talking about gardening things, I'm in a, I'm, I know I'm in hot water, so please don't email me or text me or say you got that completely wrong. I know, but I'll, I'll, I'll have enough illustration to make my point. A tree to bear fruit, it takes some hard work definitely initially to get it to happen and then to keep the whole thing healthy and strong and bearing more fruit work has to be done i'm sure people who have orchards or vineyards they're working all the time to keep their production levels up high so to produce fruit 
on a fruit tree and we'll just take say an apple tree or something they go through a, a series of stages so that it can develop the fruit as opposed to the Christmas tree we hang it on and take it off a fruit tree has to develop and grow its fruit God is more interested in the fruit that you produce than the gifts that you display because the gifts were given to you they were hung on you you didn't necessarily do anything to get them or deserve them but the fruit had to grow through you so God's always more interested in character remember in that Matthew account where he says there will be people who, who go to the Lord and say Lord we did all this stuff in your name we healed the sick and cast out demons and we performed many miracles and he says depart from me because I never knew you that's one of the things he's saying that you never developed the character in your life the fruit of the Spirit all the gifts that you exercised I gave you them but the fruit you didn't bother to develop in your life so the gifts are one thing and we need to exercise them don't get me wrong there but the fruit has to develop in our lives now I'm going to highlight for you um, important stages of the development of a tree that's where I said I'm really on dodgy ground now so bear with me here and there's seven stages and later I'll explain why I've done the seven stages to you so stay with it stage number one the seed is placed into the ground no one can argue with that bit okay although they say oh we don't do it like that anymore oh, all right okay I'll give up already the seed is placed into the ground what the seed does it sends down roots and it sends up a sprout or I suppose it's got a special name it starts to come out of the ground so we see a tree that's the second stage the third stage after time and this takes a good bit of time that which sprouted out of the of the ground becomes a tree I read somewhere or I put it in my phone you know you google everything today to get any any knowledge about anything it can take two to seven years for a tree to come out of the ground to look like a tree I thought well I would never do that I couldn't wait the seven years anyway and then you've got to wait years after that for the fruit to come so I ain't going to do trees I'll tell you that for a start it's not quick enough for me so the tree starts to come the four stages blossom comes on the tree like I said that's about seven years down the road before you get any blossom on a tree the fifth stage is the blossom falls off and the fruit begins to develop on the tree blossom or fruit in the first year must be cut off or taken off the tree for it to be healthy and to keep growing in the way it's meant to to produce a strong tree the seventh step is several years must pass before apples are fit to eat now I know in Leviticus so you can't say I'm wrong about this one I read it in the Bible in Leviticus it says you've got to wait four years before you can take the fruit from the tree and eat it so I'm thinking yeah 10 or 11 years before you get to eat an apple it is that which we are developing in our lives we're developing the fruit of the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit you say well does it take that long well you know how long it takes because you're still developing it 
And you've been going along more than 11 years, some of you, in this Christian walk, and you think, in my life, it must take forever. Now, listen, it can happen that enough fruit can grow and develop in your life that you look like Jesus. Enough fruit can develop in your life that you don't sin. Now, some people will say, that's impossible. That's never going to happen. We're always going to sin. That's not what the Bible teaches. See, we don't have to sin. We choose to sin. We choose to do that. If you say that we can, can't help ourselves and we can never stop sinning, you're saying that the, the gospel of salvation is defective. And it's not. It's perfect. God, God developed a perfect salvation to make us perfectly like Jesus Christ in character and behavior. We're not divine. He is divine. We're not, but perfect in our character and our development. Another thing about fruit and seeds, have you noticed that fruit is inseparable from its seed and seed from the fruit? Every apple you buy and eat or open up, um, there are seeds in it. Now, I know there are some fruit without seeds. I'm not going there. I just want to show you that I am clever and I did know something. Okay, so, but generally, the fruit and the seed, they go together. First, fruit must go from a seed, but then it takes fruit to produce further seeds. So, we have fruit. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? is what we're saying, isn't it? So let's presume that God created an apple tree with apples on it and the seed was on the inside. Of course, we know that you have to take the seed to produce more fruit and then more fruit produces more seed and more seed produces more fruit and so the cycle goes on. In Genesis chapter 1, 12, it says this, trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kind so an apple has apple seeds in it which will produce more apples it is a principle of nature but it is also may i add a spiritual principle as well it's important because christians who do not produce spiritual fruit in their own lives have no seed to sow in other people's lives. Christians who do not produce spiritual fruit in their own lives have no seed to sow into the life of other people. So sometimes when you're around other Christians and you really want to go on with God, and you recognize the fruit in their life, you say to yourself, I must spend some time with that person because that person has fruit in their lives. And if I spend time with them, they will be able to put seeds into my life. Have you ever thought about people like that? People that you think, he's somewhere, she's somewhere with God. I need to get close to them. I need to talk to them. I need to inquire of them. I need to be around them because what will happen, they will plant seeds in me that again in turn will bear fruit in my life. 
If someone is bearing no fruit in their lives, you'd say, well, don't need to spend a lot of time with them because they're not going to put good things, good seed, into my life. Another way of comparing gifts and fruit, as I said at the beginning, gifts are plural, fruit is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is one thing. The New Testament speaks about spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 10, we've looked at this already in previous weeks, it says there are different kinds of gifts. So there's many gifts of the Spirit. But the fruit is singular. It says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit, the fruit, just singular, of the Spirit is love. So God's looking to develop one fruit in your life, which is the fruit of love. Now you say, oh, Philip, no, there are nine fruits of the Spirit. Okay, let me read the verse to you, or the two verses, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You say, there you are, there's nine fruits. Well, we've got a problem. Why didn't it say the fruits of the Spirit and not the fruit of the Spirit? You've got to work that one out. You say, well, I'll have nine. You can have one fill. So I like nine different fruits. You can just have the one fruit. Okay, let me show you how I see this and how this might work out. This is what I believe. You know when I say I believe, it means you don't have to, but you at least have to listen to me, okay? Because I'm standing there and you're sitting there. I believe the others that flow may be understood as different ways in which the fruit of love manifests itself. So there is only one fruit. See, God is love. He's love. God so loved the world. Uh, the, the, the royal law that James talks about is the royal law of love. Uh, Jesus said, which is the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And the second law is very much like the, the first one. You love your neighbour in the same way that you love yourself. That could mean something like if you're quick to forgive yourself, you better be quick to forgive your neighbour as well. So what are these other fruits? I think they are expressions of love. So joy is love rejoicing. Joy is love rejoicing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love forbearing. Kindness is love serving. Goodness is love seeking the best in others. Faithfulness is love keeping its promises. Gentleness is love ministering to the hurts of others. And self-control is love in control. So I see one, one fruit that I have to develop in my life. My goal, the purpose of my existence, all the years that the Lord is going to let me continue to live, I'm, I'm developing love in my heart. Maybe years past I missed it. I didn't see it. I didn't see how important it was. I wasn't quite bothered. But I see now what I have to develop is the love in my heart. When I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ... 
He's going to look at the virtues in my life. He's going to look at faith, hope, and love. He's not going to question the giftings that I've operated in because they were gifts. He's looking for the fruit. And it says of the three, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. So that is the fruit that we need to be developing in my life. You need, you folk there, need to be the greatest lovers in the world. Don't be shy now. The greatest lovers in the world, without a shadow of a doubt. We would say, uh, do you know Dan? And say, what, Dan, the one that loves everyone? Uh, uh, or Anya, you know Anya? Yeah, she loves everybody. Yeah, or, or uh, I'm sorry, I could go through the whole lot of you, but I like to pick on some people just now and again, okay? It's usually the people who are sitting in front, but you're all sitting in front today. So it is, it's about love, it's about love. It's about developing the fruit of God's love in our heart. The fruit of the Spirit is actually the character of Christ. If you had met Christ, that's what you would have met. You would have met love personified. Now, it wasn't wishy-washy or sloppy. Oh, but so strong and so dependable and so vital and so wonderful. To be in his presence, you would have thought, I just want to stay here. I don't want to go anywhere else. So he wants to manifest his character into us. We have to allow the fruit of the Spirit to develop. We all had what the world calls an old nature or a sinful nature. Now, instead of having that wonderful fruit of, of love and, and those other, uh, what love is, how it's manifested, do you want to hear the list of what it used to be like in your soul, the, in your old nature? It's horrible. I'll give you, I just give you a list of 20. I could have got 50, but I'll give you 20, so I'll let you off the hook. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, hatred, discourse, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition, dissension, arrogance, envy, murder, idolatry, witchcraft, drunkenness, wild living, cheating, adultery, greed, stealing, and lying. And it goes on. That's what you used to be like in your old nature. Now you say, really, Philip, I wasn't as bad as all that. You had the potential. It was always there. If certain doors opened to you, you would have gone straight through because that's what your nature required of you. But we have received a new nature. And it is the fruit of the Spirit in that nature that the Holy Spirit wants to bring forth and develop in our lives. Just like a tree bears fruit and it takes time to develop, so it develops within us. Galatians 5 and 24 tells us, those who belong to Christ, that's each one of us, we have crucified that old nature. We've put it to death. We've said no to you with its passions and its desires. The passion and desire that you must have now is that passion for love, the passion for all the, 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 the different constitutes of, of love that we read about. In its place, there is to be implanted in our heart a new set of inner values. 
The law of God has been written on your heart. It was written on the heart of Jesus and Jesus entered into you. So the law of God is in your heart. You want to obey God. You want to. All Christians want to obey God. And so now the, the virtues or the fruit of the Spirit now within you and the heart that wants to obey God, it can create within you the Christ-like character which God is seeking to develop in each of our lives. One day you will look like Jesus without a shadow of a doubt because the work that he has started in you, he will bring it to completion. I will be able to live like with you because you will be like Jesus. And you will be able to live with me for eternity because I will be like Jesus. And if you're not, it's going to be hard work for eternity. But he's going to conform Jesus in our lives. We are being conformed to the image of Christ in our lives. We have got an exciting future ahead of us. When all the forms of fruit are fully developed, it is as if Jesus by the Holy Spirit is incarnated in his disciples. See, Jesus, the Son of God, was incarnated into human form so that human form could be incarnated into the person of Jesus Christ. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the Son of Man could become the Son of God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So while he's trying to get you to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, to speak in tongues, to operate in all the ways of the gifts of the Spirit, at the same time he's developing the fruit of the Spirit which is the very character of Christ in your life. Now, I'm taking you back to the fruit tree, okay? Uh, you wondered where it was going to come in and important. Okay, I said there would be uh, an important seven-stage development uh, in this. So this is what we're going to do now. I'm going to take you through the seven stages of the development of Christ's character within you, the fruit of the Spirit. To do this, we have to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. We can read the whole thing there. He says this, For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. So this whole journey, this development, it starts with faith. Make every effort to add to your faith, it says. And do you realize where it ended? The very last one it got to, the seventh one, was love. The goal of becoming a Christian by faith, receiving in Jesus, is that he might then develop within us this tremendous fruit of the Spirit, which is the love of God itself in our lives. It goes on to say, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measures, you will keep they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. I don't want to live a life that's ineffective and unproductive. 
Therefore, to, to live an effective and a productive life, I must allow the love of God to be developed in my life. In your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, if you don't have these ever-increasing developments of love, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So it is the Apostle Peter there who has listed these seven successive stages of how we develop the love of God in our life. And it just isn't all oh, the love of God. That is the goal of your Christian life is to love like God. So he, he shows us how to develop these. He goes through the process uh, showing us that it will demand diligence. It will demand hard work. As I said, the, the process can be compared with that apple tree. The apple tree with the seed, the seed of faith that goes in and produces the, the wonderful fruit. The seed that goes in us is the seed of faith that grows into this wonderful fruit. Let's look at then at the seven progressive stages that he's listed here. I used to like it when a kid, when the pastor or the preacher said, there's six, six things I want to do or five things, because in my mind I would count them as a kid, because I'm thinking, how long is he going to go on for? But I'll know when he's finished, because he's got to the sixth one. So I've got seven here. Okay, so you'll know when I'm coming to an end, because we'll have got to number seven. So, but I'll tell you one at a time, so you don't even have to count these. They made me count them as a kid. Number one, stage one, it says goodness. It said, uh, add to your faith goodness. What is goodness? Goodness is simply moral excellence. It is what it is. It's to be good. It is virtue. And it covers every possible area of your life. So whatever you do today, whatever occupation you have or the things you find yourself busy with, what God wants to do is to turn you into the best person doing that thing. He wants you to be good at it. So if you're a nurse, then he wants you to be a, a good nurse or the best possible nurse or an excellent nurse or a businessman or a housewife or whatever it is you find yourself doing. He says the Spirit of God wants to make you a good one of them. I want to be the best uh, teacher of the scriptures that I possibly can. The Spirit of God wants to make me good, and I want him to make me good. I want to be the best that I can possibly be, and that's the work of the Spirit, is goodness. Stage two is add to that goodness, knowledge. Scriptural knowledge is not about understanding. We must understand, but all spiritual knowledge is practical. It has an outbearing. It's not merely theological it's knowledge that works some someone once said well we only really know what we do in fact i've learned some stuff but because i haven't done it or practiced in it i've forgotten it all i mean i went to years for university to learn how to build bridges and roads i don't know a thing about building a bridge or a road now i ain't got a clue why because i never did it but Christianity is about we learn what we can do. And what I've been talking about these last four weeks is not knowledge or theory or theoretical things. It's about you doing it. 
you speaking in tongues, you getting your toolkit together, you discerning things, you having words of knowledge. So it's about what we do, not what we just understand. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is God-breathed, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scriptures are to help you be good, to do good, to do the things that God wants you to do. Without the scriptures, we won't know what to do. Stage three, due to add to your knowledge, self-control. We're not simply church members. We don't simply just go to church and go home again and go back to church again. We're Christians under discipline. You've enlisted in an army. You think, no one ever told me that when I went along to church and put my hand up. I didn't know I was enlisting in an army. No, we wouldn't tell you that to start with. We tell you now, okay, that you've enlisted in an army. There's a battle ranging around you and the enemy is the devil and you are now on the side of the captain of the Lord of hosts, Jesus Christ himself. Okay, so you need to have discipline in your life because a lack of discipline the enemy will come and wipe you out. That's what he's seeking to do, to just take you out completely. So we need to be self-controlled, self-controlled in our emotions. You're not allowed to fly off the handle. Sorry, uh, you're not, you can't do that. You've got to control your emotions. Your attitudes need to be controlled. Your appetites need to be controlled. Your thoughts need to be controlled. We cast down imaginations. We take things that are opposed to Christ and we take them captive from our minds and we throw them down. You just put in your mind the things that Jesus says about you. So we govern our actions and our reactions. So you add to self-control, this is stage four now, you add perseverance. The ability to overcome the various tests and trials that will inevitably expose your weaknesses. Sometimes we go through things that God might show you what's wrong with you. If he told you, you wouldn't listen to him because you think you're wonderful. So you don't listen. Even when he talks to you from the Bible, you don't listen to what he's saying. So he has to expose our weaknesses. He takes us through things where we say, Oh dear, I didn't pass that one. That was awful. My reaction was really, really bad. So he exposes our weaknesses, our indisciplined areas, uh, and those of, of our own personality. Some Christians, some Christians, and this isn't you, some Christians never develop beyond certain stages of spiritual development. They're not going to go any further than they've gone. They never fulfill the requirements of self-control and perseverance. They don't want to apply themselves that much to it. They don't want to endure. In this case, the blossom, the blossom is blown away and the young fruit is killed by the frost. We come to the three final stages now. In the three final stages of development, the beauty of a truly Christian character 
is starting to unfold now just as the tree starts to have the fruit on it that you think it's arrived after all these years look at this fruit taste this fruit see how wonderful this fruit is stage five then is what they call godliness godliness add to add to these things godliness a person whose life is centered on God wherever the person goes the atmosphere changes have you met people like that just just they walk into a room and there's something there's something nice about them just the way they are it's as though they know God it's as though they've just come out from an audience with God they're godly the sixth stage is brotherly kindness I wonder why it's last well it's last before love mm, maybe this one's the hardest maybe this one's the most difficult to get under our belt it describes the way that believers should relate to their fellow brothers and sisters ha <laughs> ha you guessed that one didn't you see other Christians it don't matter if they're in your church or in another church or of another denomination if they're born again of the Spirit of God they're your brothers and sisters they might do things completely different from you they might believe things that are different from what you believe but that doesn't stop them being your brothers and sisters isn't it hard to get on with other Christians it's all right for you Joe living in France on your little island not talking to anyone at all bless you okay so you're definitely not going to be challenged in this one but for the rest of us we've got to live amongst other Christians and when you get close to them some of them are quite prickly aren't they they're really difficult they're difficult to love difficult to talk to difficult to get on with they're just hard work brotherly kindness it's number six before we get to the very top of the tree there it is you know if you look through church history don't it's terrible uh, a century hasn't gone past when Christians haven't just massacred thousands of other Christians oh, oh, Martin Luther let's take Martin Luther wonderful man wasn't he just brought tremendous uh, reformation to the church he was responsible in what he said and did to 100,000 people being slaughtered to death because people took the side of the Catholic Church and others took the side of Martin Luther and they just went out there and slaughtered each other to death a hundred thousand people died because of a revelation that Martin Luther brought to the church in the Reformation listen to me carefully salvation doesn't bring about change salvation it marks the day that change could have started so when you get saved you get saved as you were you don't change because you get saved you change because the Holy Spirit comes into you and he starts to do a work of renovation on the inside he starts to develop the character of Christ in us he starts to grow the fruit of Christ within us and just as the tree takes years it takes some years in us now it only takes years 
because we make it take so long. We're stubborn and resistant and difficult to work with sometimes and we don't understand and we, we get put down and all those things. But the work of the Spirit is to develop the fruit of Christ in us. By way of a, an illustration, this is a nice one. Remember when David wanted to kill Goliath? He went to get five smooth stones. Now you say, why on earth did he get five? Why didn't he get one? Well, you could have thought, well, he might have missed with one, so he was ready to have another one. Or you could have said, well, he had four brothers who were giants and he wanted to kill all the brothers as well, just in case they turned up. Anyway, he went down to the brook and he picked himself five smooth stones. How did those stones get smooth? How did he know at the brook there would be five stones? He knew because in the brook, the water flowing across the stones makes them smooth. But not only that, the jostling of the stones together makes them smooth. So what with the word, which is the water, the water is the word of God, and you lovely people living in close community with me, rubbing against me, it makes me the lovely person that I am. It rubs all those nasty bits off me and me getting close to you and when you say something silly and I jump all over you, oh, you, that's, that's, that's the rubbing, you see. That's, that's what it is. It's the rubbing. And so we become smooth stones. And when God's got a job, when God goes down to the brook of humility and he picks up a stone that he wants to throw at the enemy, you are the perfect one to be thrown because you have humbled yourself to God and to what God's doing to make you such a precious person bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And now we come to the seventh one. This is where I always breathed a big sigh of relief as a child because I knew the sermon would soon be over and I could play with all my friends the seventh one, the final stage. It started with faith and it ends with love. It always ends with love. All these lists begin and end with love. The full right character of a Christian character. God's own love for the unthankful and the unholy. We become thankful for the unthankful and for the unholy because the love of God, the agape love of God has been developed in our life by the Holy Spirit. Love that causes us to bless those that curse us. Love that causes us to do good to those that hurt us. Love that causes us to pray for those who spitefully use us. Love that causes us to love those who persecute us. The love of God developed and born in our life. Listen, of all the things that I've said about the Holy Spirit, I've kept the best to last. Don't ignore the other seven. Don't say, oh, the gifts don't matter. They really, really, really do matter. But this one, this one, he does this one at the same time that you exercise the gifts. So you be the most beautiful fruit tree that you can and the most wonderful Christmas tree that you can possibly be as we bear both the gifts and the fruit. This love, this love sent Christ to the cross. This love 
caused Peter to pray, uh, sorry Stephen to pray for those that were hurling rocks at him to kill him he said father forgive them they don't know what they're doing forgive them Lord it was the love that changed Paul remember the man who was hunting down people who who testified to Jesus and he was throwing them in prison and he was seeing them being executed it changed his heart this isn't what Paul says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He says, brothers, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We push on. We push on with perseverance to the prize and the prize is that we have the very character of Christ formed in us, the very love of God in us. We live and manifest his love. Do you want to please your heavenly father? Do you want to cause him to sing and rejoice over you? This is one and sure way to do it. Live a life of love. God bless you. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed the module on the Holy Spirit. And coming up over the Christmas period, we have an exciting series of Christmas stories that Philip Edwards will be reading from his fireplace. So stay tuned for them and more details will follow. Also, if you would like to partner with our ministry, please head on over to our website at ariseministry.org.uk where you can make a secure online donation. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.